You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow us, Bright City Church, on Instagram. Today's message is from a friend of Bright City, and we know you're going to love it. Morning, Bright City. My name is Deb Hopper, if I haven't met you before, and I'm an owner here at Bright City. And all we mean by owner is that we own the mission and the vision. We we aren't members of some club. We're owners of this church. So I invite you to take that step into ownership in the next few weeks if you're interested and want to be part of things here at Bright City. Pastor Nick asked me to talk today about what God has been teaching me and why it's important for all of us. So I feel like I have a word just for this morning and just for each of you who God brought here today. I got to give you a confession though. I love back to school time. Can I hear an amen from any parents in the room? Maybe the teachers are a little quieter this morning, but the parents are all saying a big amen to school being back. Now, I have to t- I've also, it's been a long time since I've had a first day at school. I mean, you could probably imagine that. Um, we, my husband and I are going to his high school reunion next weekend, and I won't tell you how many years that is. I'll just say that we're at that point in life where they group eight to ten years together, just so there's enough of us alive to show up. So you can pray for us as one of the living um, that will be, you know, showing up for the big reunion. But I really just love back to school. I love its fresh notebooks, fresh pens, you know, a new calendar. For a lot of you students, you got new teachers, new schools. It's just a fresh start, isn't it? It's the same thing as January for me where you can flip the calendar. So I'm pretending that it's first week of school for me too. And I really started thinking about this the 1st of August because I love new seasons and new rhythms. And I started thinking, okay, maybe I'm not going back to school, but I can start some new rhythms or I can look at some rhythms that have gotten off track. And I knew immediately the one that God wanted me to look at. And it was my daily quiet time with him, my time with God. Have you ever had a season when you weren't hearing God speak clearly? You know, um, it could be that you heard him really clearly when you first got to know Jesus. And you heard his voice, you knew he was with you, but it's been a few years or a lot of years. You know, or maybe your quiet times have become stale lately or formulaic, or maybe they're non-existent. Um, Maybe you're in one of those seasons right now today. Well, that's the season I found myself at at the beginning of August when I was looking at rhythms. Let me back up a little bit and I'll tell you how I got there. The first of June, I went on a three-day silent retreat to Mepkin Abbey. It's a monastery here in the Low Country, and if any of you are interested, Tyler's been, Ellery's been, Nick's been, I've been, we'd love to tell you more about it. It's fabulous. I can't say enough great things about the silent retreat. You go to this monastery where monks are praying seven times a day in their own little corner of the abbey and you are silent with God for three days there are other people there but you don't talk well for some of you extroverts that might be a little difficult but for me as an introvert it was heaven I loved it three days alone with God with you know just to hear from him 
And I got to tell you, from the minute I stepped onto that holy ground until the time I left on Sunday night, I heard God speak over and over again. It was so vibrant and clear. And so I came back and I'm like, I'm going to make every day like that, right? (laughs) How many of us come off retreat and we're like, I'm going to make that my everyday life. But, you know, summer happened and really good things happened. We had a lot of family times. We had a great vacation. We had late nights. We had later mornings. So all my rhythms got messed up and especially my time with God. I shifted my time away from my early morning time with God to just other things in my life. Um, Sermons and podcasts were still speaking God's truth to me, so it wasn't like I was away from God. I've had seasons in my life like that, too. This was just a season where I wasn't hearing from him. And I knew I could hear him speaking to other people, and I just missed my direct line. I I wanted that back. And so more than just missing the intimacy that I had with Jesus, I knew that I needed it for my soul. See, while I was at Mepkin, I picked up this little book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's called Meditations on Psalms. And they had it in the library there, and I just inhaled it that weekend. And if you're just now hearing about Bonhoeffer, I'll tell you a little background on him. He was born into a large family in Germany in 1906. His father was a psychiatrist and a neurologist. His mother was a a teacher. So everybody expected that he would follow in the line of education and teaching. But his family dynamic, being part of this large family, and his parents' values enabled him to get a great education, a very high level, and it encouraged his curiosity. But in turn, it caused him to want to lead others and pastor. And they all expected him to be a professor, and they were maybe a theologian. Okay, like if you're going to go that route... Dietrich, you know, be a theologian, but no, he wanted to pastor people. And so one of the first meditations he wrote about in this book was Psalm 62.1, my soul finds rest in God alone, which I feel like his sermon on that psalm still pastors me today. So I know he was meant to be a pastor. He says in this, this sermon that we have to take care, as human beings, we have to take care of our soul that we take care that we do not lose it, that we do not one day, he says, wake up from the turmoil of our life, professional and private, and see that within you is an emptiness, a plaything of sorts, a leaf tossed here and there and blown away, and that we become without a soul. Our soul, he goes on to say, is the life God has given us, what God has loved upon us, what he's breathed upon us out of his eternity. It's the love in us and the longing and the holy unrest and the responsibility and the joy and the pain. It's all of it. But when our soul is at rest with God, all thirst is quenched. All thirst is quenched. We understand thirst, right? Especially after this hot summer in the low country. The more I understand about the importance of water to my body, the more I understand thirst. So many times I think, I'm hungry, when really, I'm just thirsty. Or I think, I need caffeine, let me get a hot cup of coffee, and I'm really just thirsty for water. Or I get a crashing migraine, and instead of reaching for a pill, 
I remember that I'm dehydrated. The analogy is so easy to see how we do the same thing to our souls. When our souls are thirsty, we substitute whatever the world offers in the way of numbing agents or entertainment. Our soul is thirsty, so we pick up our phones to search for happiness. Our soul is thirsty, so we lose ourselves in a work project hoping for validation. Our soul is thirsty, so we do a little more online shopping. Our soul is thirsty, so we spend more, eat more, drink more, medicate more. You fill in the blank. We do anything to try and quench the thirst of our souls except the one thing that would take care of it. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, knew this. God used the picture of broken cisterns when speaking through Jeremiah to point out the foolishness of his people. The message was to show them how they were no longer fully devoted to God. If you have your Bibles or an app, I want you to turn right now to Jeremiah 2. And I'm going to give you a minute to get there. Jeremiah 2, and we're going to read together in verse 5. 2 verse 5. I'm going to tell you while you're turning in your, in your Bibles or finding it on your phone a little bit more about Jeremiah while you're turning. He was one of the Old Testament major prophets, and he was often called the weeping prophet. And I think that's mostly because he was always seeing the desolation of Israel, and he also foresaw the destruction of Jerusalem. We see evidence of that weeping and gloom over people in these verses. So read along with me. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I, the Lord says, brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land, and you made my inheritance detestable. So let's pick back up at verse 13. This is really the key text for what we're, we're looking at today that God wants us to look at. In verse 13, it says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So I did a picture because I'm very visual and I like to see, and I had to really research what is a cistern and what was a broken cistern. And so I thought it might help somebody other than me today to see that. But it was an artificial reservoir that was dug into the earth or carved into rock for collecting and storing rainwater. You see, Israel had a long dry season, much like a lot of our Midwest and West is facing today with droughts. And they had relatively few natural springs. So catching winter rain in the cisterns was critical. Fresh water was so valuable. So a broken cistern was worthless. Cracked rock or crumbling masonry could hold only a small amount of dirty water. Or maybe no water at all. And collecting and storing water in a broken cistern like this was about as practical as me trying to use a piece of cloth for a water bottle, right? So back to my dry season and how I was feeling at the beginning of August. I knew my soul was thirsty, but I just wasn't sure where to start. So I started one morning by being honest with God. 
I think that's the first place we have to start. You know, get, confessing with God. And I pulled out my journal and I said, you know, I miss your voice, God. Like, I could hear you speaking to others and they're inspiring me, but I want to hear from you directly. So as I cried out transparently to God about my need, I knew there were some sins that also needed confessing. I confessed where I had been holding on to broken cisterns instead of reaching for living water. Some of those broken cisterns were so subtle that I had to examine every habit and every part of my life to see what was getting into the way. You know, sometimes we pick up a routine or a habit in one season. It's okay for that season, but then we carry it, and it becomes a lifetime habit, and it's not meant to be. When we had traveled to London in the U.K. this summer, and so when we got back, I had COVID, and I landed on my couch for a week, and I picked up my phone a lot because I was looking at pictures, looking at videos. I was reliving our trip. That was okay while I was benched on the couch, but that small little thing became a habit in my days where I used to not pick up my phone until after my quiet time in the morning. Now I was picking up my phone constantly, just looking at things, and it had gotten in the way of my morning time with God. So one small, subtle change in my mornings had me holding on to a broken cistern. Next, I knew I needed to restart my gratitude list. Whenever I'm feeling dry, disconnected, or wondering if God is listening, the last thing I want to do is be grateful, right? But I know it's usually the one thing I need to do for my parched soul. Ann Voskamp wrote a book titled 1,000 Gifts. It came out over 10 years ago. But it, she gave me a fresh way to think about gratitude. We think in our prayers, our gratitude, it, we have to use flowery words and perfect prose, you know, t- for God to hear us. But instead, if we can capture gratitude in the midst of stressful situations or dry seasons, it will begin to shift our mental space. One of her quotes from the book that I love most is, she says, learning slowly to not be so reactionary while inserting verbal gratitude into stressful situations is almost like being healed of mental blindness. Being healed of mental blindness. I I want that. I know we all want that, right? Then in order to move from gratitude to posture myself to hear more from God, I begin to think about his qualities. You know, as with any relationship we're in, if the lines of communication get blurred or broken, You don't just walk away from a good friend, do you? You start to think about, how can I reach out to them? What is this person going to respond to best? A text, a phone call, in person? Like, you think about the qualities of that person before you reconnect. So as I began to think about the qualities of God, he seemed to give me several specific ways that I could start hearing from him again. The first characteristic he reminded me is that he's consistent. You know, and he told me to go back to the last time that I was hearing from him. And that might seem elementary, but I'd never tried it before. And so when I questioned why, he said, because I'm consistent, Deb. Like, that's who I am. So the last time I was hearing his voice clearly was meditating on the Psalms after I'd gotten, you know, inspired by Bonhoeffer. And I went back to those notes. I even ordered the book so that I could have it and reread it. I thought maybe he wasn't finished telling me what he told me that one weekend. And 
how often do we just read something quickly and then move on to the next thing without really soaking in it? So that's what I, was, I needed to do with the Psalms. So I want you to you know, just close your eyes for a minute and think about when was the last time God spoke to you clearly? What were you studying? Where were you? How did he communicate? Maybe it was through a small group when you were in a Bible study. Many times God has spoken to me through a group Bible study. Small groups like give me that accountability I need to keep going when I'm ready to just lay it down or when life gets busy. You need to join a small group here at Bright City. I've seen the list of the leaders that are starting to put their names out there and some studies, and there's going to be a group for everybody. So keep your eyes open for that. Those groups will start in September. Maybe God last spoke to you alone late at night. Maybe it was an early morning. Maybe you're an early morning person. And you know that setting your alarm 20 minutes early is going to be the key to having that time with him. Maybe you were on the beach watching a sunrise or a sunset. Think about the last time you heard from God or you heard his voice clearly and try to recreate that method or that scenario. The second thing God showed me is that he's strategic. You know, many times I play Russian roulette. I'll just be honest with the Bible, and I'll jump from here to there. I'll be in Genesis one day or Isaiah, and then I'll go to Revelation, and then I'm in John. And God showed me that because he's strategic, maybe I need to camp out in one verse, one passage, one book even of the Bible You know, skipping around is okay for a time, but I believe there's value in digging into that one chapter when you're feeling dry. In my recent desert time, I went back to the Psalms, and I just camped out in Psalm 1 for a week. And it's not a very long psalm either. I just meditated on like one tiny phrase or verse for the week, for each day. You can choose one of the Gospels and put yourself in the shoes of the the Apostles. You know, there's so many places you can start. And if you don't know where, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. But, you know, why should we stay with one book or chapter? Because God is strategic. You know, he's not only consistent, he's strategic. And Jesus spoke through stories to teach all the time. And you can't do a story by jumping around, right? You have to hear the beginning, the middle, and the end. The third thing God showed me is that he's creative. Try a new or a different method of studying or a new way to look at the Bible. If you normally spend time in one translation, try another one or another resource. In August, one of the resources I tried was the Bible Project podcast. God had poked me that morning with something about the Levites, and I realized I don't really know who the Levites are. I don't know anything about them. I've studied the Bible for years, and yet I don't know about this tribe. So I went to my podcast app, and I went to the search bar and typed in Levites, and sure enough, came right up. Um, Episode 313 of the Bible Project. It was a 40-minute teaching that I listened to while we are walking in the morning. And it gave me such a great teaching on their background, and it was an easy listen. Maybe you always listen to the same source for your sermons or your podcasts. Just shake it up a little bit. Ask a friend for a recommendation. Ask our pastors. They will give you lots of recommendations. Or just try the search bar like I did. You know, try something brand new and try hearing a different voice or a different teacher. 
because God is creative. Try a new translation. Dig deeper into a passage to study the Greek or the Hebrew. And you may think, well, Deb, that's for people who go to seminary. Well, no, it's just as easy for us today with the technology we have. You can go to BibleHub.com and Strong's Concordance is right there. So you can pick any word from a passage and it tells you the original Greek or Hebrew and then you get all the trails to go in. It's, it's really a fun way to research a passage and you don't have to be a theologian, I promise you. This is a very simple thing to do, but how do you journal when you hear from God or when you're having quiet time with God? For the past year or year and a half, I've used my iPad and it's wonderful. I can take it with me everywhere I go. I have like a a journaling app in there. But when I was on the silent retreat, I went old school with a journal and a pen, and I filled this baby up. So just doing something different for that weekend probably like got me away from the norm and allowed me to hear from God. So that simple shift might have opened my soul to hear from him. So we hear from God because he's consistent, he's creative, and he's strategic strategic. But maybe though, there are some of you here that have never heard from God. And that's not unusual. Maybe you've never heard him whisper, look this way, or this verse is for you, or I want you to dig into this passage. And so quite honestly, going back to what worked before is not even an option. You want a fresh filling. So I'm going to lean again on Bonhoeffer's book for that, for a method to recommend. In 1935, one of his earliest lectures was Christ in the Psalms. He brings his own life experience to bear upon his understanding of the Psalms, stating that it's not our prayer that interprets the Psalms. It's the Psalms that interpret our prayers. So his example of praying the Psalms daily inspired me to also start praying through them. From his earliest lecture to 10 years later, he was imprisoned by Hitler for over a year and a half in a horrible situation. His family couldn't visit him. His fiance couldn't visit him. But he had a small copy of the Bible with the Psalms, and he read them day and night. It sustained him through those times to keep preaching to the prisoners that were there with him, to keep writing letters to the church and his family, and to keep inspiring us 100 years later with his writings all the way up until the time that he was martyred and killed by Hitler. You know, I tried that same thing by reading and meditating on just a verse or two of Psalm 1, then Psalm 2, then Psalm 3. And when I started with Psalm 1, I was only three verses in when God showed me another broken cistern that I had held on to, to the point of becoming dry. The first version I looked at of Psalm 1, verse 3 said, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. We've all heard that verse, right? Or a lot of people have it on markers or, you know, little cute signs. But another version that I read, I wanted to dig a little further and look at the amplified version. And the amplified version said, That person is like a tree firmly planted and fed by streams of water. Now, that immediately hit me, and I don't know if you have the same word picture in your head, that, so I'm going to tell you what mine was. We have had two different 
uh, willow trees in our backyard over the last 10 to 15 years. And for one reason or another, they just didn't thrive. They got big and the kids were climbing in them, but then something would happen, disease or drought, and they died. So this past year, we decided we're planting a live oak because live oaks are low country trees. We have a pond, it's by you know, water, it's gonna grow, live oaks grow by water. And it did thrive for a little while until we had like two weeks of drought this summer. And I saw the leaves starting to turn yellow. And I panicked, I was like, we're not losing another tree. So I went out there and started watering it every morning and every night. And I realized, first of all, our tree's not planted by running water, streams of water, it's a pond, let's, let's be real. But also, you know, if there's a drought and no rain, it's up to me to feed it. This verse says, you know, that we're planted and fed. So it's up to me to feed it. Likewise with my soul. If it's dry, if I'm thirsty, which I was crying out to God during that same time, and he showed me right there in Psalm 1-3, well, you're not feeding your soul. You know, I'm not going to keep, like, doing all the work. You've got to feed your soul. You know, another, another scripture I think about with this is Jesus had an unlikely account, encounter with a Samaritan woman in John 4 when he asked her for a drink of water from the well. Jesus answered her, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep, so how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and livestock, and passed it down to us? Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. But anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be like an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. The Samaritan woman encountered living water. The fountains were gushing out of her so much that she ran back to the town to tell all the people about this man named Jesus. And scripture tells us that many in that town were saved that day and believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So maybe you're thirsty because you're not drinking the water. Or maybe you're thirsty because you're holding on to broken cisterns like I did. It could be that the cistern you hold on to seems to be a good thing. It's an okay thing. Maybe you've labeled your cistern stability or self-care or success or self-improvement. Those are all good things, but it takes our eye off the prize, right? We go to that for the water instead of living water. And the cistern seems to hold enough water until we realize it's cracked and we can never get enough. We can never get enough affirmation. We can never get enough warm feelings because it leaks. Maybe your cistern is like mine today. It's filled with good things and a few hard things, but so many things that the container is undoubtedly cracked from being filled to the brim. I don't know where your soul is at this morning, but I know where mine is. I know where it's been. I'm thirsty, you know, and I'm thirsty every day. I can't just drink once a week on Sundays. I've got to drink every day for my soul to not be dry. I see signs of dry and thirsty souls all around me. I know you do too in the world. But here, 
I don't want to see dry and thirsty souls. I want to see people who are drinking the water because you've experienced living water. Maybe it's a dry season for you and your soul is thirsty, so you call it job dissatisfaction and you move on to the next one. Or maybe it's a dry season and your soul is thirsty for an insta-worthy life, so you run after a new lifestyle that you've seen. Or maybe your soul is dehydrated and you keep spending time with people instead of time with God. Maybe it's a dry season for you and your soul, again, is thirsty because you're only drinking water once a week here on Sunday mornings. It's just not enough. And here's the thing, though. I can only drink water for me. I can only drink living water for me. I can notice that my friend, my husband, my sister, my daughter is thirsty, but I cannot drink water for them or for you. You have to want it. I want to ask you this morning, church, what are you holding in your broken cisterns? You have to put down those broken cisterns and take a drink of living water in order to say, my soul finds rest in God alone. Can you say that with confidence? I knew I couldn't. Even this week as I was preparing this message, I'm like, can I say that my soul finds rest in God alone? Hmm, not always. Not 100%. Because if I don't get that living water every single day, I'm going to be parched. You know, God showed me even this morning another part of this passage that I had overlooked. And that's what Jeremiah was saying, what God was saying through Jeremiah to the people is they had three sources of water. They had the streams that would come in the winter. And then they had wells. And then they had cisterns, which would sometimes get broken. But he was saying to Israel, you bypassed the first two. You didn't take the living water, and you didn't take the well water. And you've relied on these cisterns that break. And when they break, they have sludge in them. I hear so much in these days about us taking care of our bodies. And that's a good thing, and we need to. I hear about how much water I need to drink every day. But nobody talks to us about our souls. And we're going to end up with this great body and no soul if we don't take care of ourselves, if we don't do the things, that, the easy things of just being in the Word and talking to Him and listening to Him. And it will be like living water. It will gush out of us. And then, because what Jeremiah was saying to the people is that water is important because if you don't hold on to living water, there's going to be a hard thing that's going to come next. And you're not going to have the water. There's going to be a drought, and you're not going to have the water. And so I think that's what he's saying to us today. Hard things are going to come. There's going to be an illness in your family around the corner. There's going to be a jobless situation with somebody in this room. There's going to be a financial crisis. There's going to be a child that you're praying for. There's going to be a parent that you're caring for. And if we don't have that living water that's gushing and overflowing and filling us up, we're going to be as bad as the people with the sludge in the bottom of the broken cistern. I don't want to exist on the sludge. I want to exist on the clear, 
free living water that Jesus gives us every time we turn to speak with him. So again, I don't know where you're at today, and I don't know where God has you. You know, I know where he had me a month ago, and I just share with you that process I went through because it did help me get back into like a daily rhythm of hearing from him and seeing him and being with him and walking with him. And I want you to have that. So maybe during this time of response, you need to do confession. You know, maybe you need to just bow down at your seat and tell God what it is that's distracted you, that's got your eye off the prize. Maybe you need to pray with somebody and say that out loud. It's usually easier to let it go when we say it out loud than it is just to say it to ourselves. So maybe you need prayer for that. Confession, repentance. Maybe you need to start some gratitude list. You know, maybe God's reminding you that you hadn't, like, listed out. We don't need to wait till Thanksgiving to be grateful, right? Start the gratitude list. List two things a day, three things a day that he's done for you and that he's cared in ways that he's cared for you. And it'll remind you how big he is and how good he is, you know. And just maybe we just need to... Um, worship him. Maybe this response time is a time to thank him because you have the living water. I'm not assuming that you don't. And thank him that, that he's speaking to you. Um, but he wants to speak to every one of us. And it's not mystical. It's not something just for pastors. It's the way he walks and talks with us. That's what the living water is. There's nothing mysterious about it. It's just Jesus. And you'll know it there'll be a knowing in your spirit and you may, somebody else may come up to you and say, I heard God say this about you. So it doesn't always happen the same way for everybody. It's different. We're all unique and he's creative, right? But let's enter into this time of response and let him have all of us and go for that water, the living water. Thanks for listening into Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.